and welcome back. Uh, in this segment, I'd like to now kind of talk about the idea of analysis and some ways in which you, as budding young folklorists, can make kind of a good start in learning how to analyze the folklore that you collect in your digital media project. Actually, analyzing folklore is something, like I said, that most folklorists tend not to do. Uh, instead, the sort of vast majority of folklore books and articles out there just kind of stick to collecting and cataloging tales, riddles, proverbs, songs, games, and et cetera, et cetera, uh, without any discussion, really, of what they mean to the people who use them. Why, why is that, do you, do you think? Uh, well, analysis is kind of hard, for one, uh, and it involves some degree of speculation or intellectual kind of intellectualization of the stuff you're collecting. You have to analyze. Uh, in order to analyze an item of folklore, you have to contextualize it. In other words, you have to kind of understand how a particular item works within a specific, specific social historical setting or moment context. Um, so at the... I'd like to think that we're kind of asking a very basic question. How does folklore help people make sense of their lives? Uh, here you should substitute whatever specific community that you're, below, that you're, you're looking at for, for people, right? Uh, Lynn McNeil raises the same kind of question, actually, when she asks in her book, what does this folklore do for the people who share it? Yeah, either way you want to phrase this question, it should, this should, you should keep this in your head as you're analyzing the items you've collected. Now, once you've asked this question, how do you answer it? As far as methods go, analytic folklorists have previously used a number of familiar tools and techniques that you, I'm sure you're exposed to in your anthro classes or in psych or English or Asian studies classes. Uh, it's good to be familiar with them, even though I'm not going to challenge you, uh, I'm not going <coughs> to ask you to use those. Instead, I'm going to kind of present to you a different method called the AIR method, the AIR method that I feel is like a quick and easy way to get you started. Anyhow, should you be interested, there's things like structuralism, which investigates how folklore reflects and shapes the basic social or cognitive structures of a community. Then there's symbolism uh, or semiotics, which asks how folklore creates, perpetuates, and adapts systems of signification or meaning within a community. Another closely related way of analysis is psychoanalysis, whether it's Freudian or Jungian, that sort of thing. Uh, you can try to understand uh, by taking up the symbols within an item, how folklore reflects repressed desires or fears of a community. That'd be Freudian. You could ask how folklore reflects an underlying set of universal archetypes that are found within a collective unconscious that belongs to all of humanity. That would be a Jungian approach. You might be able to get some mileage out of Marxist theory, which would help you explain how folklore reflects the ideas and hopes of the proletarian classes or the working or labor classes. Uh, similarly, you might be able to use feminist theory or queer theory or the t tools of race and ethnic studies, post-colonial studies, to explain how folklore can provide a space in which marginalized, vulnerable communities can, are able to express their own thoughts and feelings, construct their own identities on their own terms rather than under the shadow of the hegemonic views of the heteronormative, Eurocentric, colonial, colonizer mainstream, right? Uh, this method is maybe the, currently the most popular among uh, Asian Canadian folklorists today, I would say. And you're welcome to use any of these theoretical perspectives if, they if you feel like they help you analyze the folklore you're collect uh, you're, that you're getting, and it's fine. Um, the 
no matter which theories ultimately might appeal to you, ultimately, I, I'm going to try to steer you towards ask, asking and answering one basic question, right? How does folklore enable ordinary people to make sense of their lives? Now, in this session, what I wanted to do is to introduce you to what I've developed as a kind of easy and straightforward method uh, that I find kind of is helpful for new folklore students to get started in this difficult task of analysis. I call it the AIR method, or A-I-R. A-I-R stands for Anxieties, Identity, and Relationships. And these are what make up three broad categories that folk, uh, where folklore helps people make sense of their lives. In your projects, you're uh, free to use one or two or all of these categories to kind of analyze the stuff that you find in your house, uh, if that makes sense. Um, so what is AIR? What is AIR? A stands for anxieties. Folklore allows people to express their repressed desires or wishes or fears or hopes and dreams. It's especially important if the group is, feels vulnerable or disempowered so that they can't articulate their fears or dreams in ordinary social conditions. For example, gay culture, women's culture, nerds or geeks in high school. I was part of that. Uh, I stands for identity. Uh, folklore helps people uh, express who they are on their own terms rather than the terms that are defined for them by the mainstream. In this way, they can create their own social boundaries that delineate who's in the group, who's not in the group, right? What does it mean to be a Chinese Canadian, Punjabi Canadian? Uh, it means something according to the government, right? Maybe a box that you tick off when you're getting your ID card. But for, for people in the community, the ide identity is forged through singing songs together, eating together, dancing in a certain way, saying a proverb in Mandarin or Punjabi, that kind of thing. Finally, there's R, which stands for relationships. This is something that I'm, I'm sure that you'll see happening in the folklore around you. Folklore allows people to forge new horizontal relationships with, with one another to strengthen existing ones. Girinara and another great folklorist we're going to be reading uh, once said that oral stories rise out of relationships, are about relationships, and forge relationships. I want to make two points here before we close the segment. Uh, first, these, were these relationships are horizontal. They're usually not hierarchical in nature. Instead, people who share folklore together are able to place themselves in a in position of equality with one another side by side. This kind of solidarity or brother or sisterhood is a really important feature of folk culture. Finally, these relationships can lead to the creation of new groups, subgroups that get formed around sharing the folklore itself. This is also a very fascinating and stimulating kind of aspect of folklore studies. The idea is that social groups don't just exist because everyone is the same ethnicity or color or racial group, but it exists because people share their traditions with one another. If you want to imagine a world in which people can get along with one another no matter their ethnicity or religion or age or economic status or sexual orientation, then maybe we can start by sharing more folklore with one another. So that's it for now. Go share some jokes, share some recipes, uh, share some songs. I'll see you next time when we talk about a very important idea of folk groups.